0: Welcome to Piercing the Veil on bbsradio.com, a show for truth seekers and rebels. Join us every week as we obliterate willful ignorance, corruption, globalist agendas, and more. Tune in every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Pacific, and listen carefully as we provide crucial solutions, information awareness, and unique life hacks to improve our planet. Pierce the veil and the truth will reveal itself.
1: All right, greetings, world. Welcome back to another episode of Piercing the Veil. Uh, this is our first live show in a couple months. Uh, admittedly, I've been a little busy. I didn't really make a big announcement about it, but we've been doing reruns since about April 24th. Uh, we've got a special guest with us here today. His name's John Nastav. Nastav, I apologize, John, if I'm mutilating, uh, mutilating your last name there. Um, he goes by the pen name I Am Waiting, and he's written or authored a book called In Thy Mother's Honor. And John is a, uh, was it, would it be proper to call you retired, John? Uh, no, I was three-tour Vietnam vet. I did not spend my 20 years plus with them, no. Okay, yeah, so I've been apologized for mispronouncing that Uh, John did serve three tours in Vietnam uh, voluntarily I believe you got your draft notice and You actually were uh, pretty hyped up and ready to go join the Marines if I recall from reading your book in thy mother's honor Uh, and we're going to try to make that uh, Some of the subject here today, but I think there's a lot of stuff that you have going on uh, some battles that you're still fighting so to speak that we want to get you some exposure for. And of course, we want to get your book out there and make sure everybody knows where to pick that up. Um, But mainly, I just want you to have the opportunity to speak about some things on your own terms that you might not have been able to before. So um, you've got our synopsis we sent to you. We're going to do just a general overview of a few things, if you don't mind. And feel free, when we're done, to correct me on anything I might have gotten wrong. But I did take a few notes from your book. And without giving anything away, I'd, I'd like to share those with our listeners, if that's possible. That is fine. I will, when when you're ready, I will be ready. Thank you so much. And I think we have Corey, our co-host on. Are you on here, Corey?
0: I am here. I am here. Welcome Welcome
1: back, everybody. (laughs) Welcome to you as well. Uh, You always provide a nice counter-insight, counterpoint, and you've always got some really good questions, so I'm looking forward to that. And so what we'll do now is we'll just move right along into our show. Uh, We started a little bit late. We're going to do some current events, but I'm going to go ahead and strike those, and we'll save it till next time. There's a lot of stuff that we need to talk about, catch up on uh, with regards to the Q movement, some things that are happening in the background regarding the exposure of sex trafficking in high-level areas and um, also some other stuff that's happening internationally. So we're going to save that for next time. And uh, without any further ado, I'm just going to give you a little background of what I understand about John. And uh, he's a number of U.S. vets, and this, this particularly applies to Vietnam vets, who have really been affected uh, by the the lack of caring of their government and the nation in general when they returned. Uh, there was there's not a lot of support for the stuff they'd been exposed to, such as Agent Orange and, of course, the horrors of battle. And uh, a lot of these guys, I have a few friends uh, from the Iraq war that are experiencing the same thing. A lot of these guys are purposefully abandoned or obstructed in receiving their due medical care, Uh, some compensation for, you know, promotions they may have acquired during their service. Uh, You know, that's a lifetime thing, uh, and I believe the rates go up according to certain levels. And, you know, some some rank-and-honor things, such as medals that have either previously not been acquired or outright denied to these people that are uh, deserving and honoring uh, of them, all this stuff is owed by the US government and it it really is what I've seen of the VA system is it's there's a lot of good people there trying to help on the ground level. This really kind of plays itself out in a lot of government agencies. There's a lot of good men and women personnel, so to speak. Right? They do their best most of them. But the way that it's structured and organized is just so defunct, so bloated and ridiculously ineffective and inefficient that it really causes a lot of unnecessary problems and some wrongs that really have to be fixed. And I think, uh, John, you've experienced no less than your fair share of those things coming back, not only over there in the war, but coming back as well. So you're basically trying to – I guess what I understood from your book, the the main purpose was that one of your – psychiatrists or counselors, when you came back, suggested that you share some of the things that happened, and it it sort of morphed into this um, In Thy Mother's Honor book, in which the central core of it is, basically, you grew up in the south side of Chicago, you talk about your life before the war, you talk about getting drafted, going to train in the military in North Carolina, all these other things, I'm just being general, because I don't want to give away the details of your book. Uh, But you talk about, you know, this central core promise that you made to your mother because family was important. You had some things happen in your family before you even left uh, to go to Vietnam that were pretty traumatic. And you promised your mother, essentially, you will never hear that I've been injured or killed in Vietnam. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah, And that, I mean, that was – you sort of – at it in the first of the book and and reading into the last part of the book you said some powerful statement and during the course of the show I'll try to find it. I've got it here with highlighted notes. You said something really powerful that I really uh, resonated with. Essentially you went through a lot of unnecessary trauma to keep that promise and to to maintain the honor to your mother that she would never hear that you were injured or, or killed and you kept it. You came back and you kept it with two arms and two legs but a lot of damage as well. So uh, essentially this is the story of your before life, your Vietnam experience, and adjusting to civilian life and trying to maintain success as a family man uh, in the best way that you could uh, when you came back. And so you used the pen name I Am Waiting, which I found to be striking you know what I mean like that's a central theme throughout the book is that you seem to be waiting on very respectably as well I should say there's a lot of stuff that you could have named names in that book and you didn't and I found that to be uh, a very profound use of restraint so I commend you for that if if those things that had happened in your book had happened to me I would be naming names and you know and being very specific so uh, that was nice and you're basically just waiting, and I, I, I guess it seems like an eternity to you so far. Uh, you're waiting for the U.S. government and the various military agencies and the VA to take responsibility for their failings and or the wrongs that have happened uh, that you've experienced both on the field of battle and, and afterwards. So that's about what I have here. Um, it just seems that what I've derived from your book is that you you're very – even though you have this PTSD that you're battling with, this continuing battle with these demons of of war, if you will, you seem to have a very level head about you. You're extremely lucid when we spoke on the phone and you reached out to me on LinkedIn. Um, That was very striking to me to see that you still have this. I mean, you're very sharp, man, and I'm sure our audience will hear that when you begin talking. Um, But there's this underlying sense of duty or responsibility to your family, and that's what I really resonated with because I've been – really focusing on my family and career change uh, in my life as well. So uh, that's about what I have for your background summed up. If there's anything that you want to correct in there, please do. And then at that point, just talk about your book, anything that you want to say there, and we'll just go back and forth. And thank you so much. It's an honor to have you on the show, John. Thank you both, Uh, Jordan and Corey. I appreciate being on.
2: Um, You basically detailed uh, quite a bit about the book, um, again, the book is called In Thy Mother's Honor because of that promise that I did made and, and, and did keep. At, <clears throat> excuse me. At times, they will have a hard time talking about certain issues. Um, but the book will go into that detail. I hope that your audience, and I thank them for listening, will take the time to read the book. They will find all the facts that I dealt with in Vietnam and why that promise was made and how that promise was kept. It was tough. And it it was tough after coming home also, but while you're there, and there are so many things that you experience not knowing as a young kid, you know, I had my 20th, 21st, 22nd birthdays in Vietnam, so you go there expecting, I guess, horror, but never the horror that you really walk into. You survive because the goal is to get home to the family. I... Excuse me again. I got home from Vietnam. I, right away, when I got out of the service, went to the VA, and all they told me was they signed me in and said, you got nothing coming. Um, You're too healthy. Get a job. Get taken care of there. And if you need something in the future, come back and we'll look at it then. And that's basically how my life went on. I got a job, tried to keep my folks with the family, getting married, raising a family and going on, but I had so much in my mind from the combat and from things that happened in my combat. And again, I tried to detail them as much as I could in my book, Um, and I'm told it's the first time in 30-some years that that has taken the time to do that. So it's, it's in there. It's facts, and it's other things that I found. As I started getting older, I was married with children. Um, my wife had a lot of issues with my PTSD. I'd get up in the middle of the night, scream and yell. She's hid in the closet many times, she's told me. But that aside... Excuse me again. Take your time. So that aside, the goal is to raise your family, take care of them, and do the best you can. As you go on with life, as you learn, I had to start going to the VA, and I was... Right away, they put me into a psych, psychiatrist, psychologist, and then after many visits, they made me see a trauma specialist because they considered me um, extreme combat, as they explained it to me from my record. So, I, they felt I needed more detailed care. And after nine or 10 years of seeing this trauma specialist and him slowly pulling out what happened in Vietnam, everything that had been done, he felt I should write it down that my family should know as well as many people out there because some of the issues that you deal with in the VA don't need to be I'm trying to get your care. The Agent Orange tragedy, so many of us are suffering, didn't need to be. And they could have gave us more notice when we come out of what to expect. And that was never done. They'll care for you to a point right now, but you fight every bit of the way. If there's other vets who have gone to the VA, they know from when you apply to try to get care in that, it's two years if you're lucky. It could be three or four, five.
1: Three or four. and, and
2: And there's no reason for it. You fill out the forms, you send them in. Three months later, you wait. They send the same forms back and say, you missed the line right here. Then you send it back again, filling in that one line to come back, and they say they want a clarification three, four months. And this goes on for years. And then finally, they'll take you and get you some care. And then they try to tell you that's based on how much you make. At this time of my life, I was older, retired. So Social Security, by the time all this finally got approved, so my care was there to a point. But the goal of the book is to let Veterans know you got to keep fighting. Their goal, and I was told this by people sitting on the side who shouldn't say it, to delay as long as you can to frustrate you so that you quit applying, so that you back down. Don't ever back down. You earned it. You served. I don't care what branch of military. I don't care whether you're in combat or not. And your family should be at your side as mine was this whole time supporting that. And it'll get to be a battle, and it'll frustrate the hell out of you. but you can't let them take away what you are, because you earned everything that you can get. You know, you're not looking for them to give you a million dollars a week for the rest of your life. You want your care taken, your body taken care of for what you did, for what you served. I was fortunate. I came home with my legs and my arms, my sight. But I've got a lot of scars on my body from being injured, and the book will explain all that, um, all that happened, what happened, how it happened, and why the promise to my mother, why the promise was kept, and how it, what it took to keep that promise. But as you get older and you go through these things, and with the Agent Orange vets, the Agent Orange cancer has 14 things, how it eats your body alive, and you expect all that care, and that's something they promise you. I was visiting my kids and grandkids in California, watching them so my daughter could go out with her husband for their 20th anniversary. We drove out from Arizona to watch the kids. While I was there, I had a problem with my heart. Your VA card states, if you ever have a problem, you're out of state, go to the closest VA and or closest hospital if there's no close VA and get the care. I had a heart issue. I went to... Cedar sinai Hospital was 13 miles from my children's house when we were watching our grandkids. They gave me five to 10 days to live if I didn't have his heart surgery. All this is explained in the book. I had five different heart procedures. I was given a 20% chance to live. I was extremely fortunate to make it through. It was a battle, but I made it. That bill for that surgery, those five surgeries, a -a 12-and-a-half-hour surgery, a seven-hour break, and another seven-and-a-half-hour surgery... And then all the intensive care came to $1,789,000. I called the VA prior to going in for that surgery. The hospital called the VA and I called them after. They still have not paid that bill. That bill is hanging over my head, $1,789,000. I served. I followed the rules. I went to the closest hospital. I notified the VA I was going because I was not back here in Arizona and that bill hangs that's been sitting there for a year and a half now. I'm fortunate the hospital has been working with me and not battling me to get that money. I would not never have it to give anyway, but there is no need for a vet to have to worry about if he is out of town or if he's local, any care he gets, that's ridiculous. And, and that is one of my problems. Other issues that I brought up—I've had just so you know—since 2012, nine surgeries related to Vietnam. Uh, a few of them are from Agent Orange cancers. I no longer have a prostate. I walk around with pads and diapers the rest of my life. Nothing good for any man, let alone an old Marine. Um, and I don't care again what branch of service—it's just no good for you. You need to deal with this on a daily basis. You when. You go for a treatment. That trauma comes back up when you're going for that treatment. That care needs to be for you. Whether you're going to see a psych, you're going to see a surgeon, everything comes back to you on what happened to you and why you're going back for that care. So you relive that combat injury. You relive that series of sequences that happened to get you there. And that is something that will go away on the day I die. Anyway I am my book has a lot of details in it about by honoring my mother I treated myself on my injuries and by treating myself I gave myself my own morphine paid myself sewed myself did what I needed uh, to make the next day to, to, to be able to fight more and, than once. Uh, more than once. I was fortunate enough to be able to do it, to have the willpower to do it, and to have the fellow support of the men at my side to help me along for a few days as I needed it, as I helped them in their times. Um, And what I didn't realize at the time when I pushed that off and told them, do not touch me, because they told me when the corpsman came up, he says, I need to fill out this form. And he said, if I fill out this form, your mother will be notified. And I knew my mother would die if she heard that I was injured or hurt, and again, the book will tell why, what leads to that fact. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I got older, my, my wife knew I had scars all over my body. My children knew the stuff was there. We never talked. They found out about all my stuff in Vietnam just a few years ago. I had kept that silent, and they never bothered about me. Bob. So, this is all new to them also. So, they asked me to go back. By refusing my care, the VA said, I don't deserve my Purple Hearts. Excuse me it It's okay, John. Too. Anyway, I've been fighting for 11 years to get those. I've got the scars. I've got the memories and I want them. Searching all the records that I had to for the Veterans Association, they keep coming back at what you've got to prove up, saying, okay, you want to know Purple Heart, you've got to give this, you got to give that, you got to give a letter from other veterans. I gave them every bit of paperwork they needed. I gave it to them 20 times minimum. I probably spent three, four, five hundred dollars 500 on special mailing, so they signed for it to get it. Nothing, the same refusal. There's always another needed piece of paperwork they need. And then the last and final thing that they told me probably not quite a year ago is that when I refused the care and I took care of myself, I was never really injured. That's their that's their story. I was never really injured. Oh, shit. Oh, and going through all that, I also found out that December thirty first or December of nineteen sixty seven, I was promoted from corporal to sergeant. It's in there clear as day that that promotion is in there. It doesn't say we're putting you up for it. It says, Effective, December 1967, you're promoted to the rank of sergeant. In my book, on the back of the pages, there's a copy of that thing, which the VA says, it don't matter. You can't have it. That really wasn't what it was about. It doesn't really state that. I mean, it's so big and black and white and so clear and simple. And, again, they just frustrate you because, again, you go back through all you did and all you care, and all they want to do is fight you on every move you make, and, and it's senseless. All they do is compound your bad memories, compound your issues, instead of using common sense, and that's what it comes down to common sense, to make such silly comments. There's also copies of letters in the back of the book from the hospitals, the VA hospitals, stating that there's shrapnel still inside my body. They've been given the photos of the x-rays and the CAT scan showing the shrapnel still in my body. That is also why I had to have total prost- prostate removal. I couldn't have radiation because they couldn't get direct rays of the, I guess, to the pellets. They couldn't get direct shots because the shrapnel would detort and ruin other parts of my body. So I couldn't go and try for the radiation instead. And a total removal. Uh, so it's just, I don't know. I wrote the book because the trauma specialist said to get this stuff out there. I'm hoping and asking everybody who's listening here as a favor to an old vet buy the book, read the book, look at what's in there. Maybe you know somebody or somebody knows somebody who can put a point to this or can say, get the word to the right proper person to help out. And, and, and I live in Arizona now, and it's not the senators from Arizona. I can tell you that. I went that path. Um, mm-hmm. Zero done. Uh, and that's the feeling of so many vets here at the Arizona VAs, the, the representatives here have forgotten us. But, again, I'm asking, the book is in thy mother's honor. It could be bought on uh, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or I believe, Jordan, you have the number down. It's 800 Seven eight eight seven six five four, 788 7654 which is direct to the publisher,
1: DorrancePublishing.com. Again, that's 1-800-788-7654, correct? Correct, 7654. Okay. Again,
2: anything you can do, tell your friends to buy the book read the book. I'm hoping that somebody tells somebody or tells somebody or tells somebody, finally, if enough people get this, we might reach the right person because I believe it's going to take a connection, because that seems how this company is country is run anymore. you got to know somebody to get something done or be that's a right. multi-billionaire. And, and it's a shame. It's a shame for all the veterans. It's a shame for any person out there. It doesn't matter whether you're a veteran or not, because the families also suffer. And, and that's no good. It's, none of it's needed. None of it's called for.
1: Well, John, I can say this. Um... Uh, Thank you very much, first of all, for sharing everything that you did in the authentic way and very factual-based way that you did. Um, I found that to be something I related to a lot in your book. Um, I do a lot of legal consulting, helping people with debt collection, exposing government corruption and agency corruptions. And what you said really rang true to me just now is because I actually pinpoint the connections and links of pressure – where you can pressure people, and I found inventive ways to pressure these agencies and these uncaring people in positions of power who feel elite and superior to the rest of us who are supposed to be public servants, I found a few unique ways to get their attention uh, without raising any alarms or being, you know, rebellious or violent or anything like that. So if you were interested, that's something we might be able to talk about off the show at some time privately, just if there's any way that i should be able to help you. Um, I have a few, you know, I'm not like some, ins- I say this all the time, I'm not an insider guru or special connections or anything like that, but I do know a few billionaires. Uh, I do know a few of my friends who, you know, one one guy grew up right across the street from the White House uh, in a very powerful family and is essentially the black sheep of that family but still has a lot of uh, intelligence agency connections. So what I'm basically saying is I, I had a dream the other night after reading your book, that there was some way that we could reach at least the Secret Service or some way to, there's thousands of hate mail and thousands of regular mail that goes to the president, but there are certain avenues that you could, like registered mail, hand delivered, you can skip all that and cut right to the point. And I figure something like sending a copy of your book along with a well-written letter, which I'd be happy to compose um, Mm -hmm. with your help. Something like that would actually do good. I saw that President Trump, in one of his um, in one of his rallies, was helping a Vietnam vet who basically wanted to go back to work. He like had done everything in his life, and he wanted to be a trucker. He just wanted to drive across what he called our great nation, and that was what I wanted to do. And so there is some semblance of attentiveness to veteran needs. Um, I know it seems a little lofty, and people might say, "Oh yeah, are you really going to get to the president?" But there are ways to do it. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I sued Obama. Uh, I almost had the case go all the way through, but I sued him in a federal court, and I, I got the, uh, the paperwork directly to him. And that was for somebody else. It wasn't my case. It was somebody else helping with a, a very high-level thing. But it worked, and it still works to this day. So that's all I'm going to say about that. But if you're open to it, there may be some options I might be able to help you with. And, of course, I wouldn't charge anything. I mean, this is something I do in my free time for you. I greatly appreciate that, and I thank you. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so, you, I mean, you've really broken down a lot of of what you're feeling, how what you're trying to do, and, and I really appreciate your call out to the remaining veterans. Um, I, I have a lot of friends that, you know, participate in the Iraq and Afghanistan oh. wars. And one of them, he did four tours, two in Iraq, two in in Afghanistan. He went back. He's a crazy bastard. Um, And I have firsthand, you know, seen the extent and the toll that it's taken on him, and he doesn't have any help. The VA won't help him at all. He's been struggling for at least six years to try to get any type of psychiatric assistance, and he's just on um, Xanax all the time and drinking away his PTSD, and it's... It's really changed them into a different person, man. So I see I, – I, I haven't participated, and I'm not a veteran, so I'll never know the full extent of what you guys are going through. But I do relate to it, even though I'm not a fan of killing and war and senseless violence. I know what it takes to make the choice to be willing to die for a cause. Uh, I was tortured in a police detention center in a county jail, and they were basically telling me, this is where you die – we have, we're your God. We have control over you. Um, and there's just a point. I know it's totally different and not in comparison to your work experience. I'm not trying to do that, John. But I, there, I'm just trying to bring up mm-hmm. the fact that there's a point where a man or a woman has to make a decision in their brain. And that commitment and that decision is what should be honored, not necessarily the acts that were done. That's part of it. But that the thing inside that person that w- they were willing to do the things they did for those reasons That is what I really feel needs to be honored uh, from everybody who's done something like that. So I I really appreciate what you say when you're trying to uh, signal the call for support. Don't give up. Don't stop fighting because that's exactly what it takes. You never give up. You're just completely resolved and you never stop. Never, ever stop.
2: It is amazing how they try to demoralize you and, and deflate everything you're doing when you're applying so that, you just won't give up because they're senseless, needless, repetitive
1: questions, and filling out papers are just never ending.
0: Oh,
1: it's so sick and disgusting. And this is this is, this is a, a practice that you see across most of the the VA. I mean, it's it's intrinsic. It's an infection inside the Veterans Affairs system. Um, I don't care what veteran I've talked to. I
2: spent until I retired out to Arizona. Um, in Chicago, it's no different whether it was at the Heinz VA or the Tucson VA, I go here. The treatment is the same. If you can get in, you can get the care uh, to a point, and you fight to get it. And that's I don't care what veteran you talk to. They spend years and years and years. Yeah. I got another gentleman, veteran, lives with me here, nine years before he finally got approved, nine years of paperwork, and he finally hired an attorney. And that's what it took to finally get him his, which was should never have to be done. Should never have to be done. I think, and, you, and especially you what the agent Orange thing. And the, before we leave, if you don't mind, I'd like to bring the agent Orange topic up, George.
1: That's okay. So we're on the same page because as I was about to segue into that, I have some notes prepared if you don't mind, and then of course you can speak your thoughts on the matter as well. Um, Go ahead. I was just going to say, you, you really know what it's like to to have to get a lawyer to do things. And then even sometimes when you get a lawyer, it backfires because they're not, you know, they either don't, they just take your money and they don't do the full job they could or it just doesn't work out and now you end up in debt to the lawyer. I see that happen with a lot of my clients all the time. You know, they come from all these horrible situations. So uh, that's, that's something to be said too, is that it shouldn't, first of all, take you to get a lawyer to get the things that you deserve from these agencies. And then when you do get the lawyer, sometimes it even makes it a little bit worse sometimes. Uh, both in our veteran affairs and of course, in regular civilian life as well, that's what we've seen. Uh, but but segueing here into Agent Orange, just for our listeners who don't know, and I did a lot of research and enlightened myself a little bit because I wasn't really familiar with exactly what was going on. Uh, Agent Orange is a name that was given to a concoction of chemicals that were intentionally strengthened and intensified. Uh, they were they were uh, defoliation chemicals. Uh, The U.S. government uh, started a contract with two uh, companies, Dow Chemical and Monsanto, which uh, a lot of our listeners will know who Monsanto is. Um, And I'm just going to read a few things pulled from this, a few articles here. Uh, The name Agent Orange got its name because it was stored in large drums marked with orange bands, uh, starting with the first field test in Vietnam on August 10, 1961, and continuing thereafter. U.S. warplanes dropped about 18 million gallons, that's 68.1 million liters, of the defoliant mix on South Vietnam for most of the 1960s with the intent to destroy large areas of vegetation. Uh, The defoliant released dioxins. We're going to get to that particular bit in a second because that's the cause of a lot of uh, the problems. It released dioxins that have been blamed for health problems in people exposed to them. And, of course, I've been linked to many things, including cancer, birth defects, and other diseases. John, I'm sure you're well aware of that. They categorized you as a level four exposure, if I remember correctly. Right maximum exposed, yes. Max, yeah. So over a decade of war, the United States sprayed about those 20 million gal- gallons over uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos, and they halted it, the program only after scientists commissioned by the Agricultural Department issued a report expressing concerns that dioxin showed a significant potential to increase birth defects. We'll duh. Uh, By the time this brain stopped, Agent Orange and other herbicides had destroyed 2 million hectares, which I think that's like 4 to 1. One acre is 4 hectares, is it not? Something like that. Five, Yeah, 5.5 million acres of forest cropland, roughly the size of New Jersey. And here we have somebody, James R. Clary. We'll get to you in a second, John, I promise. James R. Clary was a young Air Force officer and scientist who designed the spray tanks for the C-123 cargo planes that were dispensing Agent Orange and other herbicides during the Vietnam War. And 13 years after the conflict ended, with serious concerns being raised in U.S. Congress about the effects of defoliants on veterans' health, Clary dropped a startling bombshell. The fact that military scientists had known that herbicides shipped to Vietnam were contaminated with dioxin and had the potential for damage to human health. Uh, Like I said earlier, Agent Orange was produced primarily by the Monsanto Corporation and Dow Chemical. Both companies say the defoliant was made according to strict military specifications, and, and they actually quote and say this, and I quote, the government specified the chemical composition of Agent Orange and when, where, and how the material was to be used in the field, including application rates. And so, uh, 1990 report uh, it says they actually call Monsanto out. A 1990 report says that um, it's uh, it was compiled by Admiral. Elmo R. Zumwalt, Jr. for the Department of Veterans Affairs, and it recommended compensation for alien veterans who had been exposed to Agent Orange because it detailed evidence that Dow Chemical knew as early as 1964 that dioxin was a byproduct of their manufacturing process and that the dangers of exposure to humans, including our own veterans, was very clear. Uh, That report cited an internal company memo warning that exposure could result in general organ toxicity. Does that sound familiar, John? Uh, in addition to psychopathological and other systemic problems. Um, In 1965, according to another memo that became public within federal court documents, Dow warned Monsanto and and other orange makers that the industry had to resolve this crucial issue of dioxin in the manufacturing process before the government found out, because again, they were under contract. I think this, this was both sides both knew what was going on, and they were intensifying it because it was made to kill the enemy, and they really didn't think it through. Uh, it says Monsanto and other companies ignored this warning and continued to make Agent Orange with high levels of dioxin. And the Dow officials later admitted in federal court and congressional testimony in the 1980s that they did not inform the U.S. government about the dioxin contamination until 1969 at the earliest Despite these revelations and despite many private lawsuits that have been brought over the years, uh, the government and the courts have consistently – this is no surprise to me because I know about all this stuff, how corrupt they are. They've consistently shielded Dow, Monsanto, and other manufacturers from liability because they produce Agent Orange under a government contract, and the United States has maintained there's no scientifically proven link between wartime spraying and the claims of dioxin poisoning by more than 3 million people in Vietnam. And the U.S. government who – I'm almost done here, guys – U.S. government who came, uh, claimed sovereign immunity, which is something they do all the time to get out of it, was not sued. And despite this, even – they knew they were wrong, right? And despite all this, in 1984, seven chemical companies, including Dow and Monsanto – and I believe you mentioned this in your book, John, about where the money, the money might have gone instead of to the veterans directly – Correct. Uh, Dow and Monsanto agreed to a $180 million settlement with U.S. veterans who claimed Agent Orange caused health problems, and a lot of those funds were diverted into the existing VA services and things like that that, you know, who knows where all that money went, but it sure as hell didn't go directly to the vets.
2: Well, they so they claim they claim it, Winter, Jordan. I don't mean to interrupt. If you, again, no, please, all this ahead. can be Googled, Googled under Agent Orange. On it. But they claim the money was put into the general fund, of the government to go to the veterans, but it never made it to the veterans groups, never made it to the VA's, and they cannot ever verify where it really ended up. And if you look it up, that's all in writing. They want to Google Agent Orange and the Agent Orange lawsuit, and it was settled and resolved, a private by the veterans themselves who were exposed to Agent Orange. The government was never part of the lawsuit. It was won during 1993. The the, The government took the money then and disappeared. The money just disappeared. Nobody could account for what part of the government went, but it never went to the veterans. And maybe maybe again, maybe it went to that up.
0: three that three trillion that disappeared uh, that uh, Donald Rumsfeld mentioned the, the day before 9/11. Yeah, over Perhaps and over it again, it all somewhere. disappears. Mm-hmm.
2: You know the Agent Orange vets. Mm-hmm are the ones who are suffering through all the cancers right now. Your cancer never goes away. They tell you. The government will not ever say in writing, you have Agent Orange cancer. They right. put in there, we concede you were exposed to Agent Orange, and then they give you a rating, one through four, four being the most exposed. I'm a level four, which means odds are, you know, And and, and as I go to the treatments, they don't, all the different doctors and specialists, they don't say, well, one day... You're going to die. You don't know what it's going to be. They will tell you, we will guarantee you, you're going to die of an Agent Orange disease. Now they're at this level. And that's all they say. You're going to die from one of those cancers. You know, And I've got another one One Marine that I know that's left. He's been in the hospital with the, of Agent Orange blood cancer. I can't even talk to him anymore as of a few weeks ago. He's no longer mentally capable of speaking. His daughter says he's going to a feeding tube and he's on his very end. And that's what it'll eat you alive. You'll be skin and bones with sores all over your body. That's the final hurrah. That's what you're going toward. That's that's your future. Ugh, so sickening.
0: I, I will but say this. the fact that the government
2: took this away is a shame. Um, it really is. It, it should have never happened. It had nothing to do with the government. The suit they were not part of the lawsuit. And was the vets the vets should have been given their pain and suffering money back then. And again, all the billions and billions spent, they need to go back and read. We take care of everything that they should
1: have never let happen. What you really, yeah. what you said really resonated with me in there was fix the wrong. I mean, there's all sorts of fancy ways we can say it, and liabilities, and this and that. It, it's wrong. It needs to be fixed, just like a lot of things in this world that are just fucking wrong. They're patently self-evident that this is not the way it should be. And unfortunately, there's an anathema present in society everywhere, which i believe is designed and engineered nobody really cares nobody values life nobody really understands the value of what it means to die or yeah. or to experience or view death except you know through some sort of weird satanic version in the hollywood films where they constantly show sacrifices over and over and over into the mass consciousness and something in your book also Really got to me the fact that any time that you hear helicopters, is this still going on? I mean, I don't mean to spike your PTSD, but yeah, Gavin, guaranteed you see, you'll hear a helicopter. See death on TV, case. you get yeah. all worked up. Is that still happening? I,
2: time I hear a helicopter, I tighten up. Just the sound of it. I, in my three tours, probably was I was choppered into 99% of my what do you want to call night patrols, day patrols, ambushes, which was my life out there. And uh, mm-hmm. so the helicopter brings all those memories back. And, and you got to go watch a movie that's a little, again, I'm 72 years old. Your, your ability to do things slows down and in, in many ways. I'm still physically active, I'm very thankful for that, but to a limit. And uh, mm-hmm. so you go see a movie or you watch something on TV, and I do very little of both, but you see anybody get killed, you're, all that brings back, it just resonates. Just going to the VA appointment to see a psych I think, for wow. two nights before a psych appointment, I don't sleep almost a whole night long because I know he's going to keep talking about it, and I don't want to talk about it. That's and right. they keep claiming, talk about it, it'll go away. That's not, maybe to a minor point, point. Um, and I, I apologize to you and the audience that I broke down a couple times, but it's
1: not very all.
2: hard to recall, very hard.
1: Yeah, I, I, this is why I was very careful to tell you ahead of time. There's no censorship. There's no nothing. Um, I really appreciate and I respect the fact that you were so authentic and were able to do that um, because a lot of people try to hide, you know, who they really are, how they really feel, um, you know, for fear of exposure or this or that. And for you to show that emotion here, I think, can only help your cause, not hurt it. And there's nothing to apologize for. You're, You're an excellent person. Uh, You're handling this very well compared to some of the things I've seen personally. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of stuff, too, that will allow you to gauge your your success in in, uh, dealing with this, which, of course, is a daily, you know, it's it's to the end of your life is what you said. You will constantly be dealing with this. Although I will say this, John, and I want to let you talk some more and maybe have Corey ask some questions, but I wanted to throw this out there. Um, there is one thing I've been following for about seven years now, which is uh, experimental programs that are no longer experimental. They're mainstream, where they are specifically trying to help uh, veterans get rid of their PTSD. And it's, it's at kooky and out there, and it might remind you a little bit of 1969 hippies and stuff like that. But they're using psychedelic mushrooms and a psychedelic substance from Af- Africa uh, called iboga. Uh, so the mushrooms and aboga and also LSD in a controlled environment, uh, these things are actually having a long-lasting impact on the vets. So they are able to deal with the trauma and let it go, something that I'm sure feels impossible. And, of course, I have no personal reference, so I don't know if this is you know, going to work for everybody. But they're having really great results. And I'm talking like 8 out of 10 patients. The first dose they took – is completely, you know, like, they're completely changed. Like, they, they can live with themselves again. All of the nightmares have receded. Um, some of them, they're gone completely. And with continued uh, therapy with these psychedelics, they're finding that all of the traumas that are held in their muscles, this is a science, by the way, that um, believes that all of your experiences are contained within the fi- every cell and fiber of your muscles. It's, the muscle memory effect also absorbs emotions during circumstances so um, all of that stuff is actually released and your subconscious is able to let it go so I just wanted to you know just at your own leisure if you wanted to go check out um, mushroom therapy for veterans PTSD on Google I'm sure you'll find a whole host of data and scientific studies and other things that will at least shed some light on a possible solution there so, uh, and thank you and I concept. wrote all
2: that down while you were
1: talking so I appreciate okay. that Great. Of course. Of course. Uh, let me have Corey jump in. I know we've been talking a lot. Corey, is there anything that you wanted to ask uh, any questions you want to talk to John about? Um, and I'll let you guys do that. And then John can say his final thoughts. And then we got about, uh, you know, 15 minutes left in the show. We'll plug your book again, give your links out and let you say some final words. And it's, I mean, it's been an honor to have you. Uh, I really, I know this has been like a simple one topic type show, uh, it's been great. I appreciate it. So, Corey,
2: I, I thank you, I thank you for having me. Of
0: course, John. Of course. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm flummoxed, John, by your story. I'm disappointed. I'm saddened. Um, unfortunately, there are thousands of people like you. Tens of thousands, probably. And, um, I just want to, I just want to frame this in a different manner. Okay. Right. I frame this and the, there's, uh, clearly there's, there's the physical, psychological, uh, damage that a soldier goes through in wartime. And, um, And we know we know uh, generally, and according to uh, general Smedley Butler, we know that war is a racket okay we know is war is for business and um what the 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 issue with veterans going through all this rigmarole and ostensibly being entirely abused by the v a um I'd like to put onto, uh, I'd like to tie into something, uh, on a more macro level. And so first I want to ask you, and it, it, it's in relationship to, uh, status. Okay. Like okay. you mentioned in in some, in some of the court cases, uh, that uh, the U S government has claimed sovereign immunity, right? And that therefore they're they're dis they're disavowing any responsibility. Okay.
2: Jordan brought that
0: and, up. And yeah. also Yeah. But also there's two other things I want to point to. Specifically one to military and uh to to active duty or veterans in the military, and secondly, in terms of how all of this relates to what the US citizen status is all about. Okay? In all as right. far as uh the relationship between the U.S. citizen and the U.S. corporation. All right, first of all, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the term GI. Yes. <clears throat> yes. And would I be mistaken in in the assumption that uh, GI stands for government issue? Yes. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So, um, right there, it seems to me, and though you could you could inform me as best as anyone, um, that government issue, did you not sign a contract with the government when you uh, enlisted or when you were uh, drafted? You said you enlisted.
2: I enlisted. Did you sign a contract, is, and the contract reads clear as day that they are responsible for all your care, to anything that
1: happens while you are under their service.
0: It essentially okay.
1: says, basically, they're giving that to you in exchange for they own you. You know, like, you are there for service and to follow orders and to give your life if necessary. Uh, and, I mean, I don't even think that's right. enough. So Honestly, John, they should be paying you guys a whole, you know what I mean? Like, it should be. Worse. I think what Corey's trying to get at, and All I'll right. let you finish here, but I just I want to make sure I'm following you. I think he's basically yeah. trying to get point to the fact that uh, m- m- perhaps one level of the reason why the government doesn't care is because um, they treat veterans or they treat people that sign up under their military services for the most part as property and expendable property at that. And so when that expendable property comes back home after fulfilling its mission and its use, you would think that it would be rewarded and taken care of like any honorable agreement would play out, but that's not what is happening. And it's so systemic and happening so often that veterans are being abused when they get back that it would seem that there's just a general lack of caring throughout the entire system for, for the life of the veteran because they have been deemed property. So, I think he was just asking. I don't mean to speak for you, Corey, but I'm just trying to clear it up for listeners. I think you were just asking: is mm-hmm. there anything in the contract that you signed that would stand out to you that that said, "Hey, I'm giving. You know, I'm basically U.S. property now." Um, and correct me if I'm wrong there.
0: You well, it seems John. In, John just. You don't back. remember
2: the you don't remember the contract exactly, but you do remember the fact, and you could look it up. You can get a copy of it. Again, right. they're basically saying you are theirs to do with as they wish, and anything related that happens to you, you will be taken care of. And that's not been honored. You did your job. They're not that's fulfilling right. their part of that deal, that
0: agreement. Uh, uh, right. So, so basically, they violated that contract. Right. They disrespected
2: over. it, and they breached right. it, whatever else
0: you want to name you want to give it, yes. Right. Even, even, even outside of morality, right? Basic morality. And basically, you know, you, someone puts their life on the line for you and with the expectation that they're going to be taken care of, aside from the morality, there's a contract violation there, right? Correct. In terms of the, con- in terms of the contract that you signed, uh, I would, yes. I would love to, I would love to get my hands on one of those to actually read the language because as we know, language and particularly legalese is tricky. So. That being said, I want to tie, I want to tie that in the notion that a GI has, uh, via contract has made themselves property of the U S government. I want to tie that in likewise, and perhaps, uh, have Jordan weigh in on this. How different is that the, the relationship between the GI and the U S government and how different or similar is that to the U.S. citizen, It's to, so, the, to the government?
1: So, John, I don't know if I've talked to you about this yet. And this is, Corey's bringing something up that most people don't realize, is that there are um, two forms of a citizen. Uh, you're, you're naturally a state citizen when you're born. And uh, under the 14th Amendment, there's some language in there uh, that basically confers the status of a slave on everybody. Uh, essentially, what I found by researching in history, and this is in congressional records, this is in the military codes, even in the Army Field man, The Army Field Manual itself tells uh, them how to deal domestically with natives of any given territory, and it even has a section on uh, people in, within the United States, and it does not refer to them as U.S. citizens. It refers to them as natives. And um, essentially, I think CORE is trying to bring up that the U.S. citizen is property of the government, just like the vet becomes property of the government through, through an agreement and is expected to have everything taken care of. Likewise, the U.S. citizen should have uh, things that are taken care of for them. And I mean above and beyond, like, the Social Security and the Medicare and all these little bullshit, half-hearted attempts to try to give back to the population that they're slowly bilking for. For all their money and time and energy, and I'm not sure uh, we've got like five minutes left, and I want to dedicate a lot of that back to you, John, here in a second. Um, but I think we're just trying to bring up for our listeners that it's it's very much the same. The U.S. citizen is is essentially government property. The Fourteenth Amendment says, and that's what it is. And you have the right, right to. That's
0: a, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. You have the right yeah, to that's... get what you're owed on those contracts and I'm hoping that we can find a way somehow to get you and the rest of your veterans what you're owed on your contracts. I'm I'm with you
2: all the way, both of you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Of course.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Thank you, uh, sorry Corey, we ran out a little bit of time there, so I just wanted to make that distinction. I think did I get
0: close enough to what you're trying to bring up? You nailed it. Exactly. Okay. And then you know, it was in no way it, it was in no way uh, impinging on anyone uh to say was well, you know you signed the contract <clears throat> you know that 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 in no way was what i was what i was uh attempting to say what i was attempting to say is that yes human beings depending on their status or depending on their contract whether it was an uh, express contract that they signed or whether it was through a bunch of uh you know uh, implied contracts which is typically the case with the U.S. citizen, Um, both the GI and the U.S. citizen, for all intents and purposes, is considered property of the United States government. And so, these things intertwine, they overlay. Um, It it seems that the GI issue, the the veteran issue is is particularly pernicious. Um, But unfortunately, it's par for the course typically, that is part of a bigger overarching uh, systemic problem, right? The GI is a citizen, and therefore <clears throat> uh, the citizens only have certain status and relationship to, uh, to the government itself.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. There's, there's a lot to be said about status, and, and so we'll, we'll we'll kind of segue a little bit off topic there, um, but that is important to bring up that there's a similarity between, because we talk about this in all the past shows about the U.S. citizen and the court system and how to regain your freedom and stop being fucked with and tortured and brutalized and harassed by police every time they come out to collect revenue from you on the side of the road, um, you know, all these different types of things. So thanks for bringing that, tying it all together together. Um, and to the problem that the veterans are experiencing, which is you know s- stemming from the same corruption at the very top, I guess is the best way to put it.
0: Right. So Absolutely. let's
1: jump back over to John real quick before we end the show, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and give out John before we do. I'm going to give out your number again uh, to get that book direct from the publisher. The book All is right. called In Thy Mother's Honor, written by John, and he goes by the pen name I Am Waiting. That can be found on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Uh, where you can call this number, 1-800-788-7654. I've shared it multiple times, all the links and everything on uh, social media, and if you listen to the show, I would ask that you do the same. And and just out of like a basic modicum or showing of respect for whether or not you agree with war or anything like that, you have to agree that it takes commitment and honor and sacrifice to make certain decisions to serve your fellow man, no matter how that uh, shows up. And I respect that of you, John. I, I give you the honor and the respect that you deserve from, for whatever that's worth from me as a simple civilian sitting on the sidelines. So thank you so much for that. Yeah. And, and, and likewise.
0: Likewise. likewise we'll yeah, I greatly second second appreciate, uh,
1: appreciate it from all of you and
2: from the audience for taking their time to listen to us. Of course. Of course. Is there anything that you wanted to say before we close out? No, I I'm a little bit maybe again just thank again both of you thank the audience for taking their time and hoping that they would honor me by reading the book. I believe it will touch their heart and soul, and hopefully telling everyone they know because the message of what's in there needs to get out. There's multiple messages about the Agent Orange, about my issues, and I I want everybody to see because it might help their neighbor. It might help their relative. It might help somebody. And, and that's what it's all about. we got to help those around us also. And one little thing, it doesn't matter if they don't understand all the information, there's a YouTube video under In Thy Mother's Honor. Uh, they can see me talking about this book a little bit and talk about the Agent Orange issue also. Excellent.
1: And is that the book right. trailer that you were talking about? No, the there's
2: a, the, the, the book trailer... It has all kind of fancy numbers, and I don't know, it's a little <laughs> video trailer made of it, a friend on that, and it was beautifully done, I thought, but I don't know how to give all those numbers out, I really don't.
1: <laughs> That's okay, but they can find you on YouTube by simply searching, uh, In Thy Mother's Honor. Yes, they will actually Perfect. see me, I'll be talking
2: about my book, they'll see the phone numbers where they could buy, and a little bit about Agent Orange also. But again, nope. honoring me and honoring all the best by buying this book is, would be greatly appreciated, and... And and for you too, for taking your time, uh, bringing this as a topic is, is great for,
1: for not only the vets but for the relatives and all the neighbors and friends around. Excellent. Thank you for that. Right, and, I mean, I really enjoyed your book, and I appreciate you sending that to me. I've got little portions highlighted here. I've I've read it twice, cover to cover. Um, I mean, I I read legal documents and write legal documents all day long, and I'm talking like forty page. 50-page legal jargon, right? And so I've seen how lawyers write. I've seen how judges write. I've seen opinions and orders and all these things and you know, crafted my own writing style. So it's something that really stands out to me when I read a book. It's like, wow, I can feel this author. Does it make sense? And the way that you – like if you were to take this into a court case, like all of the things that you're owed and the money from these companies that screwed you over and the VA and all this stuff, You've laid out a court case, John. Like you, Your, your mm-hmm. style is so factual. It, it really appealed to me. So I wanted to say that um, and, and appreciate that about you. And if you thank don't mind, you. I mean, can I read just one little tiny, uh, like a sentence whatever, or two? Whatever okay. you'd like. Okay, thank you. Uh, this was, let's see here, this is near the end of the book before you go into some other chapters, but I'm basically talking about, how you adapted to life uh, with your with your wife and your family when you got back and you say, you learn that adapting to hardship can be done. It can be done gracefully. We have done that together, meaning you and your wife and your family. With my wonderful wife, we do our best to make the best of each day as they come. We find ways to make the days most pleasant. Our struggles have made us a team, a strong team and one that can adapt. I mean, that really, I mean, I'm married. I have a wife, and we've had a lot of struggles with a new baby, and uh, me switching careers, and uh, being on the computer, learning cryptocurrency trading constantly. So that right there, it really touched me. And for you to be able to express something like that, something so beautiful, after all the horrors that are contained inside your mind, uh, and that you experienced, I find that amazing. And I, I hope that you never let go of that. It, it seems like you want. I mean, look at what you're, you're, you're like the Energizer Bunny. And just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I keep trying believe me and so does the wife and I'm honored to have her at my side
0: excellent
1: well thank you again for being on the show um Corey any last words that you want before we, we leave I, everybody? I just
0: want to I just want to thank you John for coming on um and uh and sharing your story and your uh and the book which I haven't read yet but I would love to get a hold of and uh I respect and honor your, your tenacity and, um, and I really feel where you're coming from. You know, you're like a, you're like a, a gentle, but very wise and experienced soul and your, uh, your approach in terms of getting this information out there for everyone, for people, not just yourself, to be able to benefit from and somehow to be able to address this issue in, in a positive kind of way, and uh, I have a gr- I thank you for that, and thank you for coming on the show. And um, best of luck to you, and uh, hopefully we'll be hearing some resolution in the not so distant future from you. you
2: I off. keep hoping for that. I keep hoping. Thank you again to both of you.
0: Yeah, we will.
1: If I have anything to say about it and we try this process, uh, talk about more about it offline. Uh, I don't think you'll be waiting much longer for some of these things. Uh, that's my hope for you. Um, and then, of course, that could be applied to the rest of the veterans that are having issues. So it was no it was no accident that you reached out to me on LinkedIn. It was no accident that we made room for you here on the show. Um, and you did an excellent job. So thanks for that. Uh, I'm going to plug your book again. Uh, again, it's In Thy Mother's Honor. Uh, under the pen name I Am Waiting, which, of course, says it speaks volumes about uh, what's going on here. And the number is 1-800-788-7654. Uh, you can find that on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble. I know a lot of our listeners probably read a lot and go to the store just like I do. I love going to look at books. So go up to the counter and ask them if they have this book and, and support them any way you can because, uh, I mean, there's not... There's not much more to be said than what's in the book. It really fills in all the details that you really need to know about uh, the struggle that's ongoing with the veterans. So, uh, that being said, we're going to, uh, we're likely going to have a few more guests on, a few more shows. Um, I'm going to do a final or finale with as many of our previous guests on back on that I can, so we can network a little bit. And then I'm, I've decided fully today, finally, and I thought I'd make this announcement at the end of the show. Um, I'm likely going to uh, give up my spot on BBS radio on Sundays at 5 p.m. and just temporarily shutter the show or close it down until January or so of 2019. Um, i just got a lot of stuff happening on Sundays. I'm, I'm trading full-time. I've got a family and I'm trying to find a house for, a piece of land, you know, some projects that we're trying to do to help homeless people and, and bring water to people that need it. There's just a lot of stuff going on and Um, a lot of my time and energy has been diverted. So Uh, we're going to do a few more episodes. I'll get all the stuff on on the website and the show page cleaned up, and that will hopefully still be available. I'll figure that out. And uh, until January 2019, we probably probably won't hear another live show or even a rerun uh, for that matter. So this will be my last sign-off, I believe. um, Well, I would say maybe next... Next month, we'll do the finale, I believe. It's um, going to be maybe two or three more guests, and then we'll do that. So this will be the last sign-off for the year coming up, and it's been a great journey. We started in 2016. We've talked to a lot of great people. We've gotten a lot of information out. So thank everybody that, that's listening. Thank you very much. Um, and again, thank you, John. I mean, that, it's just been an excellent to have you on here. We'll talk soon if you want to please stay in touch with me. Uh,
2: when we get off, I'll send you an email. See when you might have time where we can connect.
1: Okay, perfect. Yeah, because I don't want to bring up your personal business on the show here. But there's a lot of stuff that I read in your book, and a lot of stuff that you said now that I think we might be able to find a targeted, it just something we can shoot off and target at somebody in the right place who's gonna it'll it'll hit their ear and they will take notice and hopefully do something, take some sort of steps to resolve some of these things that are happening. That's my hope. Thank you. Thank you again. Excellent. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Doug and Don, our producers at BBS Radio, do an excellent job. If you're thinking about starting a radio show or switching over, it's definitely the place to go. Uh, They treat us well, and they're excellent. And until next time, pierce the veil and the truth will reveal itself. We'll see you later, guys.